Hi, and welcome to the Stop Chasing Skinny podcast, where every single Tuesday we interview a new guest to talk about topics to help you craft your own fit life. The title Stop Chasing Skinny comes from my own personal tagline of life begins when you stop chasing skinny. You see, I spent many years running many miles, taking many classes, and trying many diets, but none of those worked. So finally, I got down to the business of understanding what really matters. And it's not just about how much exercise you can do or how little you can eat. It's everything else that goes into it. So I created this podcast to help you so you can craft your own fit life. Every single Tuesday, you can listen to an interview with a guest. And now every Friday, you can listen to me a second time where I take questions you have sent to me and I spend about 15 minutes answering them. You can even feed your brain this nourishing brain food by listening while you're cooking, commuting, cleaning, walking the dog, or just about anything else, because that is how we craft a fit life. Today's podcast guest is Beth Gruff. She is the founder of It's the Pits Pitbull Rescue here in Southern California. For those of you who have followed me on social media, you know I absolutely love my dogs, and Pitbulls in particular have really changed my life. Uh, That was Stephen's idea. Thank you, Stephen. So Beth started this organization because it was something that she saw that needed to happen. We're going to get into all the differences between what a shelter is, what a rescue is, all of that stuff, but I wanted to take a second to talk just a little bit about Beth. So she says that her family and most of her friends are sure she's lost her mind because she spends every waking hour working for or with the dogs. I assure you, if you have those thoughts, you haven't lost your mind completely. (laughs) I get into asking her about why pit bulls, but then there's also this other description on the website. And so she talks about how her own pit bull buddy man, saved her life. Um, Beth was diagnosed with cancer several years ago, and it was Buddy's persistent punching or softly poking her with his nose that made her ask her doctor if she maybe needed some x-rays taken. So sure enough, cancer was found, and fortunately, it was found in time. So her dog literally saved her life. So without any more talk from me, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the show, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super pumped to have you here. Um, can you hear what we're going to talk about? It's dogs. <laughs> um, so can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you started It's the Pits? I used to be in human medicine, and I've always loved dogs. One day, my son came home and said, I want a dog. And we moved into a home with a fence yard, so... I said, okay, now's the time. We went and looked at a dog that he found in the reader. It was a pit bull. And I said, um, I'm not sure I want a pit bull. But we went and looked anyway. And she was the nicest dog. And I said, whoa, I think I'm in trouble. She came and laid her head on my knee and walked like a dream and super sweet, rolled over her belly rubs. And that was the end of that. We took her home. Oh, And it dominoed from there. (laughs) So after I had my one dog that we actually adopted, I ended up pulling some dogs from the shelter and with the intent to rehome them. And I found that I had a knack for that. And we just kept pulling dogs that were on death row and adopting them out. And 3,200 dogs later, we're doing well. That's awesome. So now what is the difference between a shelter and a rescue? Because I think some people get it kind of mixed up in their head. 
Shelters take in dogs. Uh, it could be a city shelter or a county shelter, or it could be a private humane society. They all have their rules and what they do, but they take in dogs, uh, mostly uh, strays. They have stray contacts, so they take in uh, surrenders, owner surrenders. They take in strays, um, and they don't have a say if they take them or not. They euthanize for space, some of them, most of them, or if the dogs are sick. Most of them don't have the funds or the uh, space to keep a, a ill dog, so they end up euthanizing. Uh, most of them don't really know their dogs very well either. They come and go rather, rather quickly. Rescues or good rescues will take their dogs in um, and they'll learn the dogs. They'll find out the dog's behavior. They'll also fix any medical issue that is existing and then readopt the dog out with the proper home, which matches the dog's personality, energy level, and the other animals in the home that is considering to adopt the dog. If they have cats, kids, or other dogs, we do interactions to make sure everybody is a good match. You definitely do. You yeah. are really good about that. Thank and you I so love, much. I love how honest you are too, because a lot of people, you know, they just want to like quote unquote sell that dog, um, you know, or or get it adopted or get it out there. But you are very passionate about making sure that it goes to the right home. Um, so, what is the difference between a no kill shelter and a regular shelter? Because I found this very interesting whenever we first talked about it. In my opinion, there is no such thing as a no-kill shelter. There are shelters that will keep dogs longer if they're healthy and adoptable. But most shelters have what they call, they don't kill a healthy adoptable dog. So the description of a healthy and adoptable dog is a dog that does not have an ear infection, kennel cough, which is a runny nose, any skin conditions, a limp, eye problems, shaggy hair, any of that stuff is considered a not adoptable dog. And so those dogs are at high risk in a shelter where at a rescue, um, obviously we treat those dogs, get them adopted. And after we, you know, pay for their medical to be repaired and, and we, we treat pre-existing conditions, even when people adopt them and the condition is, still actively being treated, we continue to pay for that until it's resolved. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and then the shelters, they just don't have the, the capability to do that, so they can't keep dogs like that. Uh, they have a huge flow of dogs coming in. The only place that I would consider would be a no-kill shelter, and they do as necessary for medical needs, would be Best Friends in Utah. And you just can't hardly get in there now. They're just constantly barraged with requests. Wow. So, because I think a lot of people think, you know, oh, I dropped my dog off at a no-kill shelter. It'll find a great home. Um, that's not... No such thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, what? let's go ahead and go through the process of what happens when somebody surrenders their dog to a shelter. Because, like, a stray is, a you know, that's a whole different... Um, scenario. But say somebody's like, hey, I, you know, for various reasons, I'm going to drop my dog off at a shelter. What is the kind of typical process, like timelines? What happens to the animals once they get in there? It depends on the different shelter and the area of the country. But locally, they'll take the dog in, um, assess the dog when it first comes into the shelter, and most dogs are given, if it's a stray, they have a stray hold. I think it's five days 
if the dog is extremely aggressive, they'll most likely euthanize a dog. Some of the shelters, like our local shelters, will usually reach out with dogs before they put them down unless they're just absolutely horrible. Um, but if they're bad med medically or if they're bad behaviorally, they'll probably let them go after the stray hold. Or if it's a surrender, they can do it immediately because the owner surrendered the dog to them. Mm. So unless the dog is a well-balanced and healthy, there's a high risk that it won't make it out, and especially depending on the breed. Yeah. If bully breeds have a much harder time getting out because of the stigma out in the public. Um, those of us love them, love them, but there are people that are afraid of them. Um, and they have a higher risk of euthanasia because of the volume that are in the shelters, as well as if there's anything wrong with them, they just don't keep them. Yeah. And I think too, you said something about, um, how, when they get into those shelter environments, they're in cages now and they're like being barked at by other dogs. So a dog that maybe was not aggressive before could be seen aggressive. It's pretty stress. Soon. It's, okay. it's, uh, it's. What it is is they get into a place. Imagine yourself in a country that you don't speak the language. You've been. You're in a house that you don't understand how to get anywhere. How how to find out how do you, how do you go get food? How do you say I'm hungry? How do you say I'm thirsty? I need to go outside. Any of that. The same thing with the dog. They're losing their home, and they go into this loud, cold, smelly place with hundreds of people coming by and looking at you and touching you and dogs barking at you. It's a pretty depressing situation. Some of our local shelters are inside and nice, but most of them are not. And when a dog goes into the shelter, it's a very stressful situation where they have an immune problem. Uh, it could get even worse because they're stressed. So you get immune situations like Demodex mange, uh, kennel cough, whenever your immune system is suppressed, you, get, you can get sick. Ah, okay. And so, so you have a higher probability of getting sick because your immune system is suppressed because you're stressed. Got it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Plus um, you're exposed to everything in there too. Yeah, because you don't know. I mean, some of the dogs have not been uh, vaccinated. Even Correct. if your dogs have been vaccinated, there are things that you can't you know, uh, vaccinate against. Yes. Oh man. All right. Well, that explains a lot. We're going to take a really quick break and we'll be right back. Have you signed up for the 10 day jumpstart program yet? It's free. The SK Fit Life 10 day jumpstart program is 10 days of emailed lessons straight in your inbox. All of my best lessons straight to you for free. Go to www.skfitlife.com slash free 10 day. That's F-R-E-E one zero D-A-Y. See you there. And welcome back. Okay. So what are some of the most common reasons you see dogs ending up in the shelter? And then what are some of the things that people can do to take care of that? Like so that they don't have to drop their dog off in the shelter. Well, the most complaints we hear are if people have a dog that's reactive to their other dog. So this is a multi-dog household, two or more. Um, a lot of the times, I'm going to say 90% of the times that's happening is the dog resource guards the person. And that's a situation that can be fixed with a behaviorist or someone that understands that. The um, other reasons are um, people moving. They don't give themselves enough time to find a place to move that will accept their dog. Or if they're flat out moving, if they're in the military and they're going on base, these breeds are not allowed on base. So 
those are the most common reasons for people putting their dogs in shelters. I mean, occasionally you hear somebody, I just don't want the dog anymore. And yikes, that's pretty sad. Yeah. Well, and you also hear excuses that really are just covering up the, I don't want this dog anymore. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Or like, you know, you hear, oh, my dog's a purebred. It'll find a great home. Or uh, I just had a baby. Oh. Seriously. I've had twins. I had cancer and I ran the rescue and I had my own five dogs at the time. Yeah. I managed. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the resources um, that somebody could use, like a behaviorist, for mm -hmm. example, um, you know, dog walkers, things like that. So a behaviorist is different from a trainer, right? Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, there's book smart behaviorists. Um, and those those people are in business and they're expensive and most of them don't have hands-on experience to understand actual dog behavior. And then there's self-taught behaviorists and people that are book smart as well as self-taught and they watch body language and they learn it. It's a gift. It's like the horse whisperer, the dog whisperer. There are people that are gifted in that. And Randy Davis is one of those people. He's awesome. He understands dog behavior. He he understands the body language. Uh, he does this with horses as well. Um, so behaviors learn and can read body language and assess what the problem is and fix it. And most of the time it's the way humans are interacting with the dog. So changing that behavior and how humans handle their pets will fix the problem. Trainers are sit, come and stay. And they're for average dogs, that's fine. But when you have a behavior modification that needs to be come into play for a dog, meaning fence fighting, uh, fearful, aggressive dogs, they're not really aggressive, but they're fearful, so they react like aggressive dogs are really not. Most of them live with other dogs. Those are behaviors that a behaviorist needs to help with, not a trainer, because they tend to use the wrong methods to fix it, which they think will fix it, and it doesn't. It makes it worse. Yeah, and so I, I want to say, too, the one thing... I mean, the biggest, I've taken so much away from this experience, um, but the biggest thing that I took away from working with Randy with the fosters that I've been fostering is the body language of a dog. Like, we think it's so cute. Oh my God, look, he sits on my feet. How adorable is that? No, that's resource guarding. So when I first heard resource guarding, I thought, you know, a dog fighting for its food, fighting for its toys. It can also fight for its human, mm -hmm. right? Because we're a resource. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, man, my dog does that. My dog leans on me. I think it's cute when he stands on my foot. I used to, too. But that's not a good dog behavior, and this is what a behaviorist can help with. Correct. Um, just teaching people when they first get a dog, start off the right way. Walk in your home. The home is yours. Everything in the home is yours. The food is yours. You're sharing your things with your dog. Don't let them come in and take over and think, oh, this is my house, this is my food, this is my toy, and this is my couch. Because when that happens, they get the idea that it's theirs and they don't want to share sometimes. So the dog has to have structure when he first comes in and realize that you are the leader of the pack and that you will share your things with them. And after a month or two, you can soften up a little bit and invite your dog up on the couch when he sits and looks at you and then teach him, okay, when I say off, you get off. You don't let them resource things because you've already taught them and told them that these are your things. So they can't resource something, resource guard something that's not theirs. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, that's huge. That's, yes. I think that right there is a very big 
um, lesson to be learned. Um, so something else uh, that I wanted to just touch on. So if somebody really cannot take their dog with them, rehoming the dog themselves is always an option, right? Like it's it's not so um, not your dogs. If you adopt a dog <laughs> from Beth, do not go rehome this dog. <laughs> Bad things might happen. Bad things might happen. You sign up for an adopted dog with it's the pits you're keeping this dog. But really, I mean, if you found yourself, um, you know, you've had your dog for a while and, and you really cannot take it with you, um, you know, rehoming it yourself in an attempt to rehome it yourself before you just go drop it at the shelter. Um, you know, you can always kind of look for something like that. Um, do your homework. Uh, and then dogs on deployment is something that I'm going to interview the local representative for dogs on deployment. So if you're in the military and you're deploying, you don't have to go drop your dog up at the shelter. You have people who volunteer to temporarily foster. Um, so those are a couple of things. So now if somebody heard this and then they said, okay, rehoming my dog, um, Beth is, she's very strict on who she gives her, you know, who she lets adopt her dogs. So could you tell us just a little bit about your process? What are you looking for in rehoming? You can't just give it to anybody. No. So, so a little, little tidbit first, if you adopt one of it's the pits dogs and for whatever reason, uh, you reach out to us, you're having problems. If we can't fix the problem or the behaviors can't fix the problem, um, or there's a family emergency and it, somebody is really ill. I mean, accidents happen. Things happen. We understand that. We take the dogs back. If it's been several years, we will reevaluate the dog to make sure that they are adoptable and safe dogs. Um, with very few exceptions, we've taken our dogs back. I just took in a nine-year-old dog that was out for eight years and then couldn't keep it anymore. So um, we do take our dogs back. Uh, to address somebody, we also help people in the public. We try to help people keep their dogs and their family if we can help them uh, solve problems that are causing them to think about rehoming if there's no other way about it. For example, we just helped a family rehome a dog they'd had since it was six weeks old. Their daughter was highly allergic to the dog. It broke everybody's heart, but she was getting very, very ill. And so um, they allowed us to help them by teaching them how to walk the dog appropriately on a slip leash, teaching the dog to be uh, crate trained and what we would need the dog to be like in order to rehome the dog to our standards. So we're comfortable adopting the dog out to the public. We supported that. We just placed the dog yesterday in a home with a little dog. And I think there was nine people in the family um, and they have a cat. And so we, we try to match up the dog, what's going to make the dog happy in its next home. There's no fee to the family for that. As long as they help themselves, we're happy to help them too. Um, and we guide people to help them go to safe places versus uh, we always do home checks. Uh, we interview the families that adopt from us. We do home checks. We meet them. Uh, we meet their dogs, their whole family, to make sure we match them up with the right family member. Um, Craigslist is a dangerous place. Rehoming the dog on your own. Uh, could be catastrophe because the people don't have any kind of contract to keep the dog safe. They could say, oh, I don't want the dog anymore, and then they rehome, and then it gets rehomed again, and it's not fair to the dog to do that. So we try to prevent that from happening and help the public by helping them help themselves.
Yeah, those are great points. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about this because, um, you know, what should somebody look like or what should somebody look for in terms of adopting, rehoming and, and kind of taking it from what you just said about rehoming into your recommendations for how to find a reputable organization. I met a girl at the dog park one time and she had this puppy. It was now growing up and we started talking and she said that she had paid a $300 rehoming fee and got this puppy that had parvo. <sighs> and so, oh my God. you know, basically they just took her money is yeah. all they did because mm-hmm. the dog hadn't had any of its shots and it was sick. Ugh. And so what should somebody be looking for if they want to rescue a dog? Cause not all rescue slash adoption slash anything rehoming is the same. What should right. somebody look for? If you're on your own and you're not working with the rescue, you should, if you're going out with Craigslist or a friend of a friend or out in a street corner and it's a puppy, be very wary. Make sure you have shot records um, because puppies can be exposed to parvo and it can show up seven to 10 days later. There's a seven to 10 day incubation period. Distemper is is horrible. It's almost always fatal with puppies. And that's why you give a series of shots to boost the puppy's immune system. Puppies should not be out and about until they have after their 16th week of age and they've had a series of three to four sets of shots spaced out. So we educate our families when they adopt from us. We give them a schedule, what's been done and what needs to be done and when. Most people out and about don't know that. So if you do go out on your own and find a pet, try to make sure that you get somebody reputable so you don't get stuck with a very sick dog with a humongous bill. We've rescued dogs from ERs that people got puppies just like that with Parvo and they couldn't afford to pay for it. And We've taken the dogs in and gotten them well and then rehomed them. So just be careful when you're out on your own like that. I would say if you have to have a dog that you find out in that situation, do your best to get a medical record for the dog. And if you can't, you're, you're, you're at risk. So go and take it immediately to your vet. Make sure that it's healthy and try not to get taken because you can adopt a dog from a shelter or from a rescue for less than $300. Yeah. And, and I've also seen on social media that sometimes, um, you know, it's very unfortunate, but it seems like some of the profiles um, maybe are not quite as reputable as far as, you know, it, it's a donation base, right? And uh, a lot of people don't realize that a nonprofit organization, um, you can actually take a paycheck out of that nonprofit organization. And so it almost seems like some of these, um, donation links are really just looking for donations. I don't know how much they actually use the money towards the dogs. So just be aware of that too. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's the pits has just been amazing. You guys, a hundred percent of your donations goes to it's the to pits. our dogs. The only paid person in all of our volunteers and all of our rescue is our accounting bookkeeping person. Um, Once in a while, I have somebody temporarily helping me right now. I've got a medical condition myself and I've got several medical dogs and I actually need to hire somebody for, I mean, a minimum wage for a few weeks while she's unemployed Yep, and looking for a job, but it's not an ongoing thing. So every dime that comes in goes to the dogs and you can ask any vet that we use. We don't spare a dime to take care of our dogs. They are the best they can be. We do every surgery that needs to be done. 
we've had dogs with hip replacements and those are $8,000 a hip. We've done that on three dogs. Wow. Yeah. And so, and we constantly have FHOs, um, uh, well, we, we don't have any as many of those these days, but ACL tears, we cruciate tears, we do a lot of those. We've got cancer dogs we paid for. Um, we've got one dog now that's got just a horrible skin disease, which we've been treating for seven months and finally found out it's pemphigus, which is a really sad uh, autoimmune disease that we're working with, and it's become a little pricey with tests. Yeah. We've done ultrasounds, MRIs on dogs. That's really pricey, but that's what you have to do when you run a rescue to take care of them appropriately, and that's why we fundraise as much as we do because we need help to pay for these services that we provide and yeah. that we pass on to families with healthy, adoptable dogs. Yeah, and I just think it's amazing because I've heard some stories about different nonprofit organizations getting in trouble because they're really, like, lining their pockets. It's basically like have. a tax-free. Right. It's sad. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah, I, so. I've been asked before if I take a, a fee, and I do not, yeah. never have, never will. Yeah. Um, there are other rescues that they do. Um, you know, they, they have to decide what's important to them. Um, but do be careful with people that you deal with and you give your money to because there are people that, I just dealt with this last week, where somebody pulled a dog, we took the dog, and yet they're trying to collect the donations that were pledged for this dog. And they don't have the dog. We do. And we're the ones that are taking care of his leg that's injured, x-rayed all of him, blood work, paid for his neuter, etc. I just think it's awesome you keep doing this because I think I'd hate people too much. Oh, sometimes I get a little snarky. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, man. But it's worth it, right? Yes. So we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. So how are you liking the show? We would really appreciate it if you would give us a rating and review. Just click that review button, leave us some comments, and we appreciate all of your feedback. And welcome back. Okay, so speaking of donations, let's go ahead and go down the list of what are some of the ways that a person can help a rescue. Donations, I think, is yes. one of the biggest things, right? That's a big thing because that does allow us to take medical dogs where some of the other rescues can't. They don't have, have uh, as deep a pockets as what I we've built up over the last 11 years. Um, so that does allow us to take the heavy ticket dogs, which would have been put down, and we've gotten some of our best dogs with major medical, but they're fixed and ready to go on to their life, happy life. Um, donations are a big part of running a rescue because it takes, if you have a puppy, it takes a fair amount of change to care for that. You've got four sets of shots. You've got the rabies. You've got the spay or the neuter. You've got the microchip. You've got all the food. They always get sick with upper respiratory or tummy problems or demodex mange. And depending on how long you keep it, there's food, there's toys. There's training, there's all kinds of stuff, and it just gets expensive. So it takes a lot. And when you have anywhere from 50 to 80 dogs in the rescue, which is what we normally have, you do the math. That's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of money. I mean, I have two dogs of my own. That's that's enough. <laughs> that's all I can handle. Um, so, and events. You guys do mm -hmm. a lot of events, which is fundraising. Uh, but this, yes. it's fun, and like people get to come out and meet the dogs, right. too. How right. great is that? It's fun. People get to come over and pet the pep puppies and visit with well-balanced dogs. And we have merchandise. It's really nice merchandise table, um, fun shirts that support the dogs. We have you know, little gadgets. We sell the the slip leashes that we promote and we can train on how to use. 
Um, there's just odds and ends of stuff that we have, just fun things, but it also helps support the rescue. Yeah. And then obviously adopting. And I want to talk about fostering. Fostering's huge. This is yes. how we got connected because I've been fostering. Um, it, it really is, out of all of the volunteer things I've done in my life, this is the most rewarding experience ever. Oh, and you're good at it, too. Uh, <laughs> I asked for the naughty ones. Give me the and naughty she's ones. she's good at fixing them. <laughs> I just, you know, went after Cole being so wild. I just thought they all were. They're not. Um, but I like the naughty ones, and it, it's a huge reward for me personally. But why is it's such a big part of a rescue. Why is fostering huge for you? Fostering allows us to save lives. So for an example, we market for dogs that we want to pull from the shelters. We give video, we give personalities, we show videos so you can see that they're good with dogs, big dogs, small dogs, etc. You can check out the body language of the dog, how active, you know, active it is, slower, you know, like a little couch potato or whatever. We provide your supplies, your food, your treats, your toys, your crate, your blankets, your bowls, all the medical it needs. It's Nothing comes out of your pocket unless you choose to make a tax-deductible donation towards the food or towards toys. You even get to deduct your gas to drive back and forth to events or to the vet, anything that's related to that dog. So fostering allows us to save a life. Because it used to be in the old days, I would just pull them and stash them at my house until I got them adopted or found a foster. Well, I've been doing this a long time and they don't all fit in my house anymore. So I can't do that. I have a big house, but no, it's only me here. So reality sets in where you do need fosters. You need the dog to have a home environment to prepare them for their next journey. Uh, Quite often we have foster failures too, because we match the family up so well with the dog that they fall in love and it's a great match for their family. Um, I tell people, because they say, oh, I'll fall in love and keep them all. No, you're babysitting my dog. That's how you go into it. That way you're helping save a life because if you don't foster, that dog dies. Yep. That's the reality. People go, oh, I can't foster. I said, well, if you don't foster, that dog that's so sweet that you'd love to adopt at one point is going to be dead. Yeah. you got to help us save them. I'll take as many as I have fosters. Yeah. That's why we're up to 75 dogs now. <laughs> God, that's awesome. That's just so awesome. And, you know, I mentioned it um, before to some of my friends, like, you know, military families can't always have a dog, um, you know, but fostering is great because it's a temporary situation. You get to be with the dog. Like I said, I personally choose the naughty ones that need some training, Um, but that's just me. You know, some dogs, like you said, they're total couch potatoes. They just need a place to crash. That's exactly right. And we match up the people with what they're looking for. And military, I, I'm ex-military. My dad was military, retired. My ex-husband was military. My brothers were in the military. I get it. You know, you have to leave sometimes at the drop of a hat. So do yourself a favor. Don't adopt a dog. Foster a dog. That way you still get the companionship, but you don't have the agony of having to give up your dog and your dog end up in a bad place. You're helping a dog with a rescue and you get the, the void filled. But the dog is going to be cared for when you leave. If you adopt a dog and you move, that's a bad thing Yeah, for that yeah. dog. And I have to say, I mean, you guys listen or you guys watch my social media and know how much I love my dogs. And you know what? Having that dog go to a great home is an awesome feeling. You don't sit there and like, oh, I can't live without this dog. Like, it's just awesome to see him or her Happy. in the new home. Yeah. It also helps when you get to go and spend time with them and walk them like you do. 
I I might stay in touch with my foster dog and their parents. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. It's great. It's great. And then, you know, my dogs don't end up missing out on them either because they get a chance to interact. Absolutely. And, and it's great to see them, like, improving in their home or whatever. Again, I take the naughty ones on purpose. Um, so why is uh, It's the Pets only in SoCal? I've had people ask me this a lot. Why Southern California? So... We have a difficult breed to begin with per the public perception. So even locally when we're we're a strict rescue to adopt from because we want to prevent any uh, returns as much as possible. So we take applications, we interview, we do home checks. That's difficult to do long distance, number one, although we have made exceptions here and there. Um, and then when we place a dog, we want to be there for support. We have people in place here that do that. If I adopt a dog in Northern California and that dog has problems, we're not there to support that. How do I support a dog that's up there with issues? So either the person says, I'm not driving the dog back, which is in the contract, they have to bring the dog back, or the dog gets dumped up in a shelter up there, or that just presents a lot of problems for the benefit of having it out of the area. Now, we have adopted dogs out of the area with specific cases, and we do judge on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, but people have gone way beyond the extra mile. We've had families fly out, bring their dog with them, do the interact, stay here for a week to make sure everything is still good, and then go home. Yeah. Understanding that if they have a problem, they are responsible to return the dog to us. Not everybody wants to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Or can, so don't sign right. up for something you can't complete. And fostering is even more problematic because... The dog's ours. We don't have agreements with vets out of the area, so it's full price. We don't have a control. We don't know if they're good vets or not. So if there's an event we or somebody needs to meet the dog, if you're in North L.A., it's really hard to get you to come down for two or three visits in a month. Yeah. And that's what it takes to get the dog adopted. Yeah. So like, people have to understand it needs to be local enough where somebody's willing to hop in the car and drive. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, and that's totally... It totally makes sense, and it goes right in line with how much you care about your dogs and where they end up. You're not just looking for a home. You're looking for the right home. Correct. So I have to ask, why pit bulls? Oh, boy. This is funny. My <laughs> son said, I want a dog, and I said, okay, what do you want? And like I told you earlier, he looked in the reader, and he says, I want this dog. It's a terrier. I said, what kind of terrier? He goes, a pit bull, and I go, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I don't want one of those kind of dogs. They're not nice. And I, I mean, I can't believe I said that because I said, I just went to appease him. And here this little dog comes trotting down the hall, little waggy tail, happy big smile on her face, puts her head on my knee. Then she rolls over for a belly rub. Then he takes her for a walk and she's great. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm in deep trouble. So off I go with this dog and she is the dog on the top of the pyramid. I kept adding dogs and adding dogs. And finally, when I had six of my own, my husband said, that's enough. <laughs> So then I started pulling dogs from the shelter to rehome, and here we are. And so pit bulls, they just, they, I, I, I used to be on to little dogs. Years and years and years ago, I did Cocker Spaniels of mm. all dogs. But these are the best dogs on the planet. They're the class clown. They're lovable. They're cute. They have short hair, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, they're just wiggle butts. I mean, the real breed, the American Staffshire Terrier, A.K.O a.k.a. Pitbull Terrier, is the most lovable dog on the planet. If they're not lovable to people, there's something wrong with the dog. I'm telling you, when you hear all this negative stuff out there, you got to judge the dog for the dog because 
every dog on the planet, there's good dogs and there's bad dogs. But for the majority, the normal dogs in this breed are phenomenal. They're great with kids. They can be picky with their canine friends, but I've got three of my own and I bring in foster dogs and everybody gets along. I'm picky with my human friends. Oh yeah, I'm starting to be that way. <laughs> but you have to be a pack leader as well. Yeah. With oh. any big dog. Yeah, you're right. They're stubborn, but like that's what makes them so awesome. And I did jokingly say, like, somebody said, Oh, they're so sweet though. I was like, Yeah, they're trouble sometimes. Mine, <laughs> I choose. Um, they they can be trouble, but they're so sweet. And I was like, Yeah, if they weren't so sweet, they might be extinct because the ones, you know, Cole has been very naughty. Um, I had to watch him a lot, and but naughty in a good way. The class clown, the mm -hmm. one that you're like, oh, not my sock again. You know, just adorable. Yeah. They're yeah. comedians. They are. They are. Um, and so snuggly. Oh, yeah. So snuggly. So then what is the one thing that you would like to tell someone who thinks they want a pity but hasn't had one yet? I would say go and hang out with some of them. Make sure that's the, the breed you want, the size you want, the energy you want. And it, be prepared for the way people are going to look at you. Be prepared to say, I don't care. I love my dog. I love the breed. I trust this dog. Be prepared for the negative people because that's going to be your life. You're going to have people that just love you and think you're the greatest thing on the planet because they have a common share of love with this breed. But you're going to have people that go, why would you ever pick that dog? I mean, my in-laws go, okay, now that you're having your babies, you're going to get rid of your dogs. I said, hell no, I'm not getting rid of my dogs. <laughs> and when they came out and met them, they go, oh, I can see why. Now they're their they're, they're grand dogs. <laughs> and most people that mate this breed, you change their mind. Yeah. Especially if they don't know what they are until they ask you later, what a great dog that is. What is it? Yeah. Then you can tell them, go, uh-uh, don't do that because you just told me what a great dog it is. Yeah. So just be aware that they are great dogs. They're not for everybody. The energy... I mean, there are couch potatoes in these dogs, but they are typically, I mean, they're terriers. Most of them are boing a boing, you know, comedian dogs. And you have to be okay with public perception and also knowing that you can't take them everywhere like you can some other breeds. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point because mm -hmm. I think some people want to change everybody else's uh, perception instantaneously, but you really need to lead Big by time. example. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So how can someone find more information about It's the Pits? Well, we have a website, itsthepits.org. We have an Instagram account. We have a Facebook account. Um, and so if you go on there, you can see a lot of our dogs, a lot of the stories, a little bit about us. We have adoption events posted on our website. So you can come and meet our dogs and come talk to us. Uh, lots of dogs around San Diego. A lot of them are adopted from us. So you can say, hey, where'd you get your dog? Yeah, it's so funny. People ask me all the time about my dog, and even though he's not from It's the Pits because I got him in South Carolina, I always mention It's the Pits, and they already have heard of you. Um, so it's really great, and and nothing but great things to say about you guys. Thank so, you yeah. so much. We Thank try you. hard. We try hard. You do good work. You have some great volunteers. Too. Yes, I They're do. Awesome. I'll tell you, we're we are so lucky to have such fabulous volunteers and I appreciate them all they're awesome all I have to ask is hey I need help getting a dog to the vet and I have somebody saying I'll do it or I need help with an event or I need help over here or I have to have transportation here and there people volunteer they're awesome people yeah yeah that is 
one other thing I didn't want to forget about the volunteer stuff, the way that I actually started with It's the Pits, thank you tenants for tagging me in a family that was going to be put down. And I was like, oh my God, can't have that. Let me sign up. Um, you know, they ended up with a different foster family. Thank God. Um, but then I went to the orientation for walking the dogs. So a lot of organizations, shelters, rescues need their dogs walked. That's how initially, and then Bronco, I saw he had a lot of energy, just like my dog Cole. And I was like, man, that poor guy does not need to be in boarding at the moment, but he didn't have a foster family. So I said, come stay with me. So that's how I kind of got into it. But um, just to put it out there that there are a bunch of different roles that you can play Mm -hmm. in a great organization. Yes, we we try not to have many dogs in boarding, but if we have to pull them because they're going to be euthanized, we will, and we'll put them there. But we have people walking them every day, except for Sunday when they're closed. And we have people that take them home for the weekends or for overnights here and there. We rotate them. Typically, we only have one or two dogs in boarding, but right now I think we have maybe like seven, um, just because we had to pull some that were going to go down. And so that just buys us time to find the right foster for them and you know, to continue working with them and walking them and et cetera. But uh, there's all different ways to help a rescue. Walk dogs, you can drive wherever they need to go. You can attend events. You can sell merchandise if you don't want to handle a dog. You can come in and be uh, just there to answer questions once you're trained. There's all kinds of stuff. We, you know, we need people that know how to write grants. Uh, You can help in that regard. Just anything. That's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It was great fun. Oh, this is awesome. Thanks so much. Hey, when's the last time you checked out the SK Fit Life recipes? We have a really great collection. Some of our own, some of others. Check them out. There's a whole library waiting for you.